0: Can you come back tomorrow night? Yes. Tomorrow night's better than tonight. So much so that if you have to miss, if you have to miss a night, miss tonight. Don't miss tomorrow night. Well, are we tonight now? Yeah, tonight's right now. But miss tonight. If you, if you, if it's a difference between the new. T- you're, you're doing great. Just sit there and, is anybody in here tonight, uh, and by the way, t- uh, tomorrow, uh, tell your friends that they need to be here, because I want to get them praying. Bring your friends. Um, anybody in here right now that was kind of raised on the farm or close to the farm or out in the woods? One, two, three, oh, wow, wonderful. I've got something especially for you people to just raise your hands, because uh, I'm kind of a farm kid, more or less. This is a letter from a farm kid to mom and dad. Uh, this particular farm kid, by the way, was stationed at the San Diego Marine Corps Recruiting Center. Write simply, Dear Ma and Pa, I am well, I am well hope you are. Tell Brother Walt, and you can laugh at this, by the way, because I think it's funny. Tell Brother Walton Elmer, the Marine Corps beats working for old man Mitch by a mile. <laughs> Tell them to join up quick before all the places are filled. I was restless at first because you got to stay in bed till nearly 6 a.m. But I'm getting so that I like to sleep late. Tell Walton Elmer, all you do before breakfast is smooth your cot, shine some things, no hogs to slop, feed to pitch, mash to mix, wood to split, fire to lay, practically nothing. Men got a shave, but it's not so bad there's warm water. Breakfast is strong on trimmings such as fruit juice, cereal, eggs, bacon, etc., but kind of weak on chops, potatoes, hams, steak, fried eggplant, Pie another regular food. That's breakfast, by the way. But tell Walt and Elmer you can always sit by those two city boys that live on coffee. Their food plus yours will hold you till about noon when you get fed again. It's no wonder these city boys can't walk much. Legal on route marches, which the platoon sergeant says are long walks to us. If he thinks so, it's not my place to tell him different. Route marches is about as far as our mailbox at home. Then the city boys get sore feet and we all ride back in trucks. The country is nice but off a of flat. The sergeant is like a schoolteacher who nags a lot. The captain is like the school board. Majors and colonels just ride around and frown. They don't bother you none. This next will kill Walt Norman with laughing. I keep getting medals for shooting. I don't know why. The bullseye is near as big as a chipmunk head and don't move. <laughs> and it ain't shooting back at you like them Higgett boys at home. All you got to do is lie there all comfortable and hit it. Don't even load your own cartridges; they come in boxes. (laughs) Then we have what is called hand-to-hand combat training. You get to wrestle with them city boys. I've to be real careful though; they break real easy. (laughs) It ain't like fighting with that old bull at home. I'm about the best they got in this, except for Tug Jordan from over in Silver Lake. I only beat him once. He joined up about the same time as me, but I'm only five foot six and 135 pounds. And he's six foot eight and near 300 pounds dry. Be sure and tell Walt and Elmer to hurry and join before all the other fellows get into this setup and come stampeding in. And sign your loving daughter, Alice. Perchance... You can't make it tomorrow night, and I really hope you do, because I really want to hit some things hard. Part of the way that I'm doing things today is it takes time to get kind of loosened up before a group of people a little bit. There's always questions. Uh, Questions just a few moments ago about the Sabbath. Questions about the Trinity. Questions about this. Questions about that. Your pastor has been appointed by the Lord to answer those questions. What I'm here to do is not answer questions as much as I'm here to inspire you to do what the Bible already says to do. By telling you that if you're having trouble praying, everybody does. By sharing with you, there's no excuse for not doing it. But not to lay guilt on you, but to say, okay, you have trouble, here's what we need to do. In fact, I really wish this building right now was packed like it was this morning, because, you know, the entire body needs to hear that we don't have an option. We are not going to be strong in spirit. We will not overcome correctly in the days ahead. Meaning simply, when we don't overcome, there's going to be more worry, more anxiety, more depression, more discouragement, and more time your pastor's going to have to spend counseling people, of which an awful lot of it wouldn't be necessary if we spent time alone with God. Fair enough? Here's what I want to do tomorrow night. Follow me very carefully. In developing relationships and... By the way, I'm not trying to minimize the Ten Commandments by saying this. But when Jesus was here 2,000 years ago, He basically said, He didn't basically, He said it this way, all the law and all the prophets can be condensed into how many commands? Just two. Now, the only reason I'm saying this is simply because of this. Those two commandments are relational. The law is about relationship. First with God. And second, with other people. Now, I want to talk about both of them. I need a good, powerful, strong relationship with God that is not existential. I need a relationship with God that's not just in my mind. I need a relationship with God the way He says it needs to come together. And that's prayer. So if you would examine with me then numbers of what we call elements of prayer. And the point, at least one of the points that I'm trying to make now in this relationship is this. And that is that there's more than one element of prayer, which is petition. There's more than one element. Do I have a right to ask God for things? No question. All right. Does anybody believe that God heals people? Why? Why? Do we see almost no healings in America today? Because I'll tell you what, overseas you see a lot of healings, physical healings. We don't It's not openly. We don't do it openly. We don't see what again? In what? In That's why we don't see it. Oh, okay. Do it. I think there's a number of reasons. Let me just kind of throw some out to you. We're a hedonistic society. I think what saying is that she's experienced some healing, but it took place in a small group of people. I get it. I get, wasn't it. I get it. But in the life of Jesus, though, it was public. How many in this room have had friends with cancer that you prayed and prayed and prayed for and they died? Oh, they died. All right. Right there. Has God quit answering prayer? No. Answering prayer about healing is what I'm saying. God qu- has God quit healing people? Okay, thank- I need you guys' help. because <laughs> This is good. Okay, let me try it again. Has God quit healing people? There's a lot of people that w- almost everybody says yes, but in a lot of people there's a question mark. A lot of Christians will say this, I've never, ever seen a physical healing. Never seen one. Now, I'm not going to ask for hands in this room, but never seen a physical healing. They happen, my friend, big time. I, I know the, uh, the case of where uh, in uh, the, uh, a friend of mine goes to the Philippines quite often, and they go there to, to minister and to pray over people. And some years ago, and especially... If you understand somewhat of what happens in certain nations, people become more hungry at certain times for the Lord than at other times. And the Philippines has been a very hungry nation at times past. But I I remember when my buddy, his pastor, his dad that doesn't pastor, simply one day laid hands on a little girl that had never, ever seen in her entire life. Never seen a thing. Nine years old. Never seen. But she wasn't blind. She'd never seen because her eyes were born backwards in her head, basically. Born at such an angle, with the nerves, I guess, pulling in such a way that all you could see were the whites of her eyes. Uh, He laid his hands on her, and in a short, extremely short prayer, just asked Jesus to heal the eyes. And there was an instantaneous scream by this little girl, followed by a scream by her mother, because suddenly those eyes rotated Right there in front of everybody, hundreds, if not thousands, of people watching because there was about I think five thousand people in that meeting i 'm not sure you exactly, and this little girl saw for the first time in her life, never saw before, saw it for the first time, at least the way you and I see. Uh, you, you can find one physical dynamic healing after another in a lot of places. Why not America? Because there are people that come back from other nations that have been in meetings, and they 'll say. We're confused. We don't get it. Why not here? Now, I'd like to suggest several things. Now, this is going to be hard to do, and if you don't like it, just throw it out. But there have been an awful lot of situations where healing has been made kind of a what do I want to say? An event, of which ultimately I'm not sure Jesus ever gets glorified. But what the person leading the thing is the one that ultimately gets the glorification. Does that make sense to anybody? See, God is to be glorified. Not, not you, not me, not even you, Pastor. God is to be. That's hard though, I I would say. You know, because people get, actually get healed in my meetings. A lot of people get healed. And I seldom ever mention what I just mentioned. You say how do they get, a lot, most, awful lot of it is just the emotional healing. But they'll come back and I'll hear things years later. I'll come back and somebody say, I, you know, my, you prayed over my daughter. And she was she was healed of this. or And sometimes physical things and so forth. I, I don't talk about it. I don't even want to talk about it. Because all of a sudden it becomes the element of attention. And I'm hoping that what you get out of this week is not anything so much from my wife and I, other than we would like to be friends of yours, if you will. But that ultimately, God by the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart about your relationship with Him. And that's all you remember from this day on. That you need to continue on in the things of the Lord and not become discouraged because he still loves you. That's what you're supposed to remember. Not me. Not me. And so with those things in mind, plus the fact that we live in an extremely hedonistic society. Everything in America is about fun. It's about recreation. I have no problem with that in a lot of ways. But my first thing is Jesus. First thing. That's why today is so absolutely important. Everything else gets laid aside. It's a matter of it's about God today. It's about my relationship with the Lord. It's about the development of the relationship. And as I was talking to somebody a little while ago, it's not about a legalistic relationship, it's out of a heart relationship that we're talking about. Meaning simply, you know a lot of people today that they don't come to the Sabbath anymore. They quit a long time ago. I would say, to them it was a legalism. I hope that it's developing in you and is in you. This is not a legalistic thing. It's a matter of I'm here today because I'm learning to fall in love with the Lord because it's not that I love him, but that he has first loved me. Are you with me on that? And so it's developing out of a heart thing. question a little while ago, though, has to do with the legalism of the Sabbath or the legalism of that or the legalism of something else. And I would say, you know, that's, I didn't come to talk about that. It's not my business. My, 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 the thing that I am here for is to help you by encouraging and inspiring you To pray. And to say, here's how we do it. First of all, part A. This is not a, this is not a legalism. This is the way I put together what I know to be a lot of truths out of the scriptures and what other people have done. Dick Eastman has affected me tremendously. A man of, powerful man of prayer in America today. Probably 30 some years ago. Got my attention with the elements of prayer. And so on the bottom of page two, top of page three, In fact, all of page three and part of page four. What I want to do right now is alert you to what we call elements of prayer. Meaning simply, I go to prayer, what do I do? I want you to visualize it for me. When you go to prayer, what do you do? Anybody here have a time that you set aside to go to prayer? Right? Numbers of you, what do you do? Well, here's, here's the thing. All of us will do something different. Most often times, here's what I hear, though. And that is that I have a list of things that I ask God for. And I want to say, you blew it right there. Because if you're still going to prayer, you must have, after a period of time, you must have more than that because you get tired of that after a period of time. By the time you've got to about this 36th day of asking God for almost exactly the same things, you're going to be pretty tired of doing it and wondering, is there any connect in terms of my relationship with the Lord? Or somebody will come along and tell you that if you ask God for something more than once, you didn't have faith to begin with, so therefore God's not listening to you. Have you ever heard that before? You know, it's just something that will destroy your encouragement to continue on. And so, what I'm saying, here are some elements. There are basically three areas. A is worshiping the Lord. Do you see that? Just under, on page two, bottom of the page. Worshiping the Lord. Flip the page to the middle of the page. And it says, B, waiting on the Lord. You're the bottom of the Lord. C, we we'll about it. Bottom of page three. (laughs) What is C? Talking to the Lord. Lord. Okay. Now, under each of these areas, I put three things that the Bible talks about doing. Now, here's what you probably will find. That when you start to get into the Scriptures on these things yourself, or maybe even right now, you'd say, Ray, I know a four, five, six, seven. I know more to add to this, you know, and there's more. What I'm trying to do is not be all-inclusive, but to say, here's a good start if you're not already aware of it. You with me? All right. So what we want to do tomorrow night is we want to start in on the one, two, three under each of these parts. I want to go down them very, very, very carefully because this is what's really going to help you, I believe. In developing a time alone with the Lord. Now, the question becomes at that particular time, on page 4, how much time do I spend with the Lord? Is that a legalism? No. Well, wait a minute. The Scripture... Jesus indicated that he spent an hour with the Father. If Jesus, being God, spent an hour with the Father, how much more time do I need? Now somebody will take that as a legalistic element of Scripture. And I want to say, I don't think God put that in there. Remember when... Let me give you the story. You remember the story? Okay, Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. The disciples are following him. By the way, he had more than 12 disciples. He may have had a couple hundred disciples. He had an inner circle of 12. They go, they know exactly why Jesus is going. What's He going to do? That's discipleship. He didn't tell them, I'm not here to disciple, I'm here to teach, but sometimes I wish I was here for a couple of weeks simply so that we could do it together. He did it with them so they knew. So they stop and begin to pray, except for Peter, James, and John who follow him a little further into the garden and then they begin to pray and then Jesus goes probably a stone's throw further and He starts to pray and He comes back how long later? Uh, About an hour later. And remember what the disciples were doing? Oh my. They were sleeping. Do you remember the words to Peter? Uh, Folks, I believe those words weren't just to Peter. They were to all of the disciples in the garden. And they were all to all of the disciples down through history. What, Peter, could you not watch with me? One hour. Now, can you see where we can take that into a legalism real quick? Here's my encouragement to you. I really think that it ought to be longer than five minutes, but that's just my opinion. I think it would be good if it were longer than 15 minutes as well. I try to pray an hour every single day, no question whatsoever. An hour every day. But I don't want to make that a legalism because I know that somebody that is, for instance, pretty new in the things of the Lord, is not going to be able to do that. That's over years and years and years and years and years of discipline. So I cannot and will not ask somebody else to do it, but I'd like to suggest to you that you need a quiet time of prayer because that's modeled by Jesus. Is that fair enough? I'd like to suggest longer than five minutes. Here's why. When I come home from an extensive trip that Linda has not been with me, if I say to Linda, you because know, sometimes I come shooting in and it's a matter of I've got 48 hours or less, 36 hours before I have to catch a plane and leave again. If I were to say to Linda, I've got five minutes for you right now before I have to get ready for the next meeting. My wife is gracious enough to say, I understand. And she'd let me go. But if that becomes a consistent pattern, it will rip our marriage apart in a short period of time. Because our marriage is based on relationship. And now I'm talking about this relationship. Somebody will say, it's not about quantity. I want to say, it, with my wife, it's about quantity. Not just quality, but she's saying, I want your time. And I believe that's important as well. So don't let the enemy just say, well, it's about quality and I can pray a good five minutes and get it all done. That's ludicrous. Because I can't follow the Holy Spirit in praying. I can't just sit and enjoy Him. Part of my prayer time is just sitting in the presence of the Lord. Or meditating, trying to figure out. You know, not transcendental meditation where you're letting your mind go blank. That's, that's, that'll get you in trouble. But have you ever come across a verse of Scripture that you're going, I don't have the foggiest idea what he's saying here. You know, most of the Scripture for me. Know, just a matter. And so the Bible gives us the opportunity to do what? Meditate. And here's something beautiful about this too. It's a matter of, Father, this is a great time to pray. Lord, I don't understand at all what this verse of Scripture means. And just talk to him about it. How many have done that and maybe six months later, you get an answer and you really have to kind of, not kind of so much, but you have to do this. I, I don't believe that that answer just arbitrarily came. Father, I really believe that that was an answer to a prayer I prayed six months ago to know what this meant. How many have ever had that happen? Do you know what that will do to you? That will endear you just that much more to the Father. And that's what this is all about. It's an endearing process. Let me read you something. Ellen G. White wrote this in her book called Steps to Christ in the chapter called The Privilege of Prayer. She writes, through nature and revelation, through his providence and by the influence of his spirit, God speaks to us. But these are not enough. We need also to pour out our hearts to him. Do you see what I said a little while ago about that? In order to have spiritual life and energy, we must have actual intercourse with our Heavenly Father. Our minds may be drawn out toward Him. We may meditate upon His works, His mercy, His blessings, but this is not in the fullest sense communing with Him. In order to commune with God, we must have something to say to Him concerning our actual life. That's pretty powerful stuff. Prayer is the opening of the heart of God as to a friend. Not that it is necessary in order to make known to God what we are, but in order to enable us to receive Him. Prayer does not bring God down to us, but brings us up to Him. I like that. All right. So in reference to that then, as we begin to to move through the different elements of prayer, just basically, and tomorrow we'll go through those. But when it comes to time now, notice the scripture. Evening and morning and at noon I will what? I will pray and cry aloud and He will hear my prayer. Uh, indicative uh, of Daniel. Now, personally, I like to spend all of my prayer time, the basic time alone with the Lord, alone with him in the morning for an hour. That's what I like to do. Now, is there anything wrong with praying during the course of the day while I'm working, mowing the lawn? Anything wrong with that? This side of Calvary... Nothing wrong with it. Before, on the other side, there's a strong possibility it wasn't possible to pray that way because the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. So you actually had to take your prayer to a priest and you had to take the prayer literally into the Holy of Holies other than that God did visit on earth different people like Daniel and Moses and so forth. There's the point. When Jesus went through the veil, he opened the presence of God to you and me 24 hours a day. I love that. I'll have to go to Pastor Greg and say, you know, I've got something to talk about to the Lord, but it's not the Sabbath yet. Can you help me with this temporarily? So that when we get to the Sabbath, you'll know that I have to have this presented to God. And so the old, you know, people wonder, you hear people say, I'd love to have lived in Old Testament times, not me. Because this side of the cross, simply a thought turned heavenward becomes a prayer. I want to go, that's a pretty good privilege as far as I'm concerned. That God has opened heaven to you and me by sending the Holy Spirit, which dwells within us. And that way, the moment I begin to utter prayer, that has made instantaneous communication with the Father. Let me go back into the Old Testament and show you how it worked. That is, Daniel, do you remember Daniel? Okay, not just the lion's den, but Daniel was praying to God one day. He was sending a request to God, of which ultimately the request had to be answered, or hopefully it would be answered, and the answer would be sent back. Meaning simply, it was Pony Express back in those days. Meaning simply, an angel, the word angel means messenger. So one of the reasons we don't pray to angels, we're not asking messengers anymore, now we pray directly to the Father because we have open access. Back in those days when Daniel prayed, that angel took the answer to heaven the Bible says that God answered it by sending the angel back with the answer. But it took 21 days for the answer to come back. That is tough. When the angel came, now I want you to catch this. This is absolute beast in Bible probably, but I think you'll catch the essence of it. And that is, here's Daniel. He's kind of going, you know, when's the answer to this thing going to come? How many have ever felt that way? You know, how many have really prayed something you thought this is going to take God days if not months and could take God years to answer this thing and in 15 minutes he answered it? Or how many have prayed something that was so simple you thought he could answer this one in five minutes and it was years before he got the answer? Every case I've learned God's timing, only he knows, I don't know and he is the one that can make it happen that does make it happen correctly. But here's Daniel it's kind of like, you know, just a matter of When's this thing going to come? And finally this angel comes out of heaven. Phoom, and lands beside him. And the angel's got the answer. But there's a problem with the angel because this particular angel, he is got bent feathers to begin with. He is as dirty as you can possibly imagine. His halo is bent over to one side. And he's apologizing. How many understand this is biblical? And the, and the angel apologizes for being late. Here's what he said. He said, and he's 21 days late now, 21 days after the prayer went up. He said, in essence, Daniel, I'm sorry I'm late. But when you first begin to pray, pray, because your heart was chastened, the answer was sent. I was given the answer to bring to you. He said, but as I was coming, I had to pass through the land of Persia, which is what today? It's Iran today. He said, I could not get past that powerful, powerful demon spirit, and I ran. So I turned around, and I went back to heaven, and I got Michael. You say, why not I get Jesus? Because the war, friend, until Jesus got to the cross, was between those who had submitted and those who had rebelled. And this was a war of will. And so Michael comes. Can you just imagine this guy? has going, Michael came with me. And we fought through. Here's your answer. Come straight from God. Here's your answer. But I mean, the guy is messed up. I mean, he's got dirty feathers. Some of them are even bent, the halos bent. Now, I say it this way, not as theology, but as this. You, my friend, have an open, direct channel to the Father 24 hours a day. And we need to take advantage of that. But i like to suggest being alone with the Father is a primary element. The rest of the time... So what I'm basically saying... Don't wipe out your private prayer time by saying, well, I pray when I wash dishes, or I pray when I'm driving. Folks, listen, if you drive a California freeway, you had better pray. All right. A time of prayer. Anytime. Anytime. Now, the Bible also says this. It's in your notes. It says, rejoice also, pray without what? Ceasing. I just taught on that. That's not saying 24 hours a day, you don't quit. Or for an extended period of time, you never stop. What that basically is, and meant to say, is that you have access to your daddy, daddy God, 24 hours a day. I love that. The next thing, the attitude of prayer. When I go to prayer, I want to make sure that I'm willing to be obedient to what God says. Most of my problem on obedience is not the scriptures. I mean, when the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery... That I don't have to pray about. I hope you understand what I'm saying. When it says don't steal, you don't have to pray about that. When it says a number of other things, don't do this or whatever, you don't have to pray about it. Uh, However, when I'm looking at what college do I go to, who do I marry, what do I do here, and so forth, that is where I need direction. And that's where prayer comes in. And I need to be willing to be obedient. Folks, I don't particularly want to be a pastor. Say, what do you want to be? I grew up to be a rodeo cowboy. Look at my nose; it's all bent over to one side. That, you know, my broken—you know—my nose has been broken, and I—I yeah, I, I wanted to be a cowboy. God said, you know, no. And I'm so glad He did. I, I rode up until some years ago, and I uh, kind of broke my neck. If you look, there's a great big old cut right there, and uh, the saddle broke, and I hit the ground about. Oh, so hard. And it broke my neck. Basically, what it did is it shoved two uh, discs into my spinal cord. And so they had to do that. I'm trying to say this. (laughs) Man, I love it. The the world is full of so many wonderful things to do. But if I'm going to have a relationship with my dad, he knows the direction I need to take. And I'm not going to argue with him to the best of my ability. So I need to be humble in his presence. I think, Pastor, you quoted this, "If my people are who are called by my name will do something, what are they doing? Okay, follow me on this. What's the problem? He's identifying right? Uh, God is saying, hey, I, I, want, I want you to make sure over here that you understand that you can get in big, deep trouble because you're arrogant. now the, the, this part of the teaching, follow me real carefully on this. when I was introduced to discovered some of the truths out of Genesis chapter three. Uh, a number of years ago, if somebody would have said, Ray, do you understand that there are two basic and primary problems that the human race is in because of Adam? I, I would have said, yes, I understand that there's fear over here and I understand that there's pride over here. Now, if somebody would have said, Ray, how are you doing over here? I would have said this. I would have said, you know, I really thank God For the work of His work in my life, because by the way of the Scriptures and by the way of His Holy Spirit, I've really moved way away from an awful lot of the stuff over here, and away away from the strongholds as well. More work to be done. Huge amount of work, probably when you get to it. Now, I'm not trying to be facetious here. This is no joke. I'm just trying to. I just want to present it. If they had said, "Now, right, how are you doing over here?" With pride, I would have said, and all, in all sincerity, I don't have any problems with pride. You say, why would you say that? How many can understand this? There came a point in your life where there was just an element of brokenness that began to take place. You just, it's kind of like all out to Jesus. Where are you at? One, two, three, four, five, six, yeah. When that happened, that took a great deal of humility in me. And I thought that that was the ultimate end to arrogance. And then comes the Holy Spirit, which, however you want to interpret it, it's the Spirit of Jesus. I don't, I don't, it's a matter of God working in us, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And, and and here's the way it began, basically. And that is, son, do you realize you have an opinion on every subject? And I'm going, yeah, that's arrogance. Do you know, all you have to do is start talking about politics right now. And there are people that will not let you have even a moment because they think they know everything about what's going on in government today. And I want to go, I don't think so. And you're boring me to death now. Or how many have you ever heard, got into, you know, somebody that's into conspiracy theories? You know, it's a matter. Uh, have you ever talked to a con- somebody in con- conspiracy theory? They know more than everybody else because of what reason? Somebody else has been deceived and I know the truth and you don't know the truth and you ought to get a hold of what I know about Bigfoot or Area 51 or Flying Saucers or... And you know, some of these I think are fun to look at. But I'll tell you what, there are people that are dead serious along this line and the arrogance just turns you off. How many has somebody politically minded in it's arrogant? Well, what about this? It gets down to religion every once in a while. And you can't even begin to talk to them because they have the truth and nobody else has the truth. I remember Dick Eastman saying one time, there was about 736 different denominations that he had found in America. And he said seven of them proclaimed that they were the only ones that had the truth. And then he added, I've got news for six of them. <laughs> Friend, you don't have the truth, all of it, unless you have Jesus, of course. But we, and it's not a matter of deceive, we just, we just, I mean, I've grown tremendously in the last ten years. I've grown in the last year. And the reason I've grown is because what I know today, I didn't know a year ago. So a year ago, if I didn't know what I know today, then a year ago I must have been short on some truth. But if you had have met me a year ago, I would have told you I'm not as short on some truth as you believe maybe that I'm short because I keep talking and I shouldn't be talking because that reveals that I really don't know the truth. Folks, that was so phenomenal. You should be able to say amen to that. But anyhow. <laughs> Anybody in here want to say, I've got an opinion on every subject, just ask me. And I want to say, you're arrogant. And I want to say, but Jesus loves you still. And let him deal with it. What about self-pity? Anybody in here willing to admit, every once in a while it hits me and just knocks me for a loop. It's all about me. Put your hand up, I want to see where you're at. You know, pray the Lord get rid of it, because that is what will mess you up emotionally, big time. What about this one? Not my fault. I mean I actually thought that way, you know? The reason I'm an idiot is because my mother was an idiot. <laughs> or my father was an idiot. May I help you out tonight? You are an idiot because you're an idiot and you've got nobody to blame. That's all there is to it. And of course I prefaced that earlier by saying the way I talk right now is for emphasis. I don't believe there's an idiot in the world. I believe that we're all created in God's image and His likeness and we need Jesus is what the issue is. So please don't misinterpret that. But also, don't blame somebody else for your shortcomings because all you do is short-circuit your ability to get healed from those things. How, 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 hey, is there anybody in here that there have been times when nobody in the world could reason with you? You had it to the point, there's not going to be any reasoning whatsoever. She's in the back. <laughs> She's here right now, I think. Honey, are you here? Because when she travels with me, the seminar turns out to be a little bit different than when she doesn't travel with me. I believe this. There's a spirit of independence on the West Coast that you don't see on the East Coast of America. So why do you believe that? It took an awful lot for our forefathers to penetrate this land of just plain toughness. To get through. And it left a spirit of independence out here. You know, get on the other coast. What about this one? People that are critical about every single thing that comes along. Now, now here, here's something, and I don't, I, again, I'm trying to be very careful, because I hope that you go out of here in love with Jesus more than you came in, or desire to be in love with Him and spend time with Him. I do everything in my power to stay away from negative, critical, and bitter, bitter people. Everything I can. I say, Ray, would you go to lunch with them if they ask you to? Absolutely. Absolutely, because they're still brothers and sisters or maybe somebody just in the world that would be good to just talk to. But I stay away from them basically because I've learned this. You're around them and that sticks to you. It just sticks. And so there's a lot of us in this room that have an awful lot of ways and means and things that we do only because we've been influenced by parents or somebody else and it may not be correct the way we're influenced And that's where God's saying, I want to change you because you didn't get the proper upbringing. My legalistic grandfather, I love him dearly. I'd be around him for the, you know, if he was still alive, as much as I can possibly be around him. But he had some idiosyncrasies that I didn't care for whatsoever. Now that I know what those idiosyncrasies are and how much bondage it brought into my life, I'd probably confront him and say, Grandpa, listen. Think you would have listened to me? Well, when you're born in the 1800s, as my grandfather was, and you grew up in a different culture, I doubt that he would. So that gets him stuck in the mud as far as where I want to go in life and I'm not just now keeping up with my father who was trying to keep up with him but now I'm keeping up with my son and I'll tell you what, keeping up with my grandkids is really craziness anymore and what happens now is that there's a liberal element that has been attached to our culture now for quite a long period of time back to the 60s how do you stay up with the current culture and not become liberal yourself? Isolation isn't the word I don't want to adopt some of the current things that are happening. And so there's a real dilemma there. I think you're catching the point on some of those things. Let's go on. In the time that we have left, let's see how far we can get. Any questions so far, though? About the subject matter? Anybody at all? Okay, we're doing good then. The attitude of prayer, obedience, humility, part C. What's part C? Just a desire to do what? To please Him. You can read these scriptures for yourself a little bit later on. What about this one, just wanting to do His will? Now, this is different than the first one. I can be willing to do His will, but there comes a point where I want the Lord to do something in me, where I become, or I want His will. I want the will of the Lord. I I got saved some years ago, quite a few years ago now. And I remember when I gave my life to the Lord, that there was a tremendous talk about the will of the Lord, How many are, say, 25 years old in the Lord right now? Anybody that older? older? Are are you great? Do you remember what I'm talking about when a lot of people talked about God's will for their lives? I don't hear anybody talking about it today in any denomination or any church, basically. And, of course, unless I'm talking to a pastor or somebody that's really dedicated to the Lord who's got that as a question. But it was just a predominant theme a number of years ago. Lord, bring that back. We're concerned about your will. Let your will be done. Uh, diligent in difficult times. There's, And again, he, here we go with a little bit of humor attached to this, but it's still an incredibly important thing. We go through difficult times and doubt starts in. We go through difficult times and we wonder, Lord, do you still love me? We go through difficult times and we want to sell our houses and move out of the, whatever situation we're in and move to some quiet piece of land in the middle of nowhere and live as a hermit where nobody will bother us. Now, I don't know what your scenario is, but whatever it is, it's called escapism. Here's the point. Perhaps you need a vacation of some kind. But whatever you do, don't take a sin vacation. And that's what a lot of people do in difficult times. Meaning simply they throw their ethics aside and their morality aside. For a period of time. Don't do that. Don't do that. And and largely, let me say it from this standpoint. Not just your relationship with the Lord, which by the way, that that's going to hinder us to some degree. But from this point, sin doesn't work. Just from that point of view. Sin doesn't work. And a lot of you in this room that are going like this, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you that shake your head. So why? Because it wasn't meant to work. Adultery wasn't meant to work. Lying wasn't meant to work. Stealing wasn't meant to work. None of these things were meant to work. It's throwing a monkey wrench into the machinery. Now, just a little honesty. I don't have this happen anymore, but I think there was some years ago where you just kind of wish that you could just go out and do whatever you want because you just needed an element of freedom. So it's just kind of like throwing caution to the wind and going and just doing whatever it was, whether it was sinful or not. Has that ever entered into somebody's mind in this room? You've never done it, maybe, but it just... I want to tell you what. That can be a very real thing when you become become really discouraged. And just encourage you, don't do it. Because you're going to get out of your discouragement. You don't want baggage that you created in it to follow you out of it. Another thing, page 5. And that is, the top of the page, we've got difficult times. Do not keep silent, O God of my praise. Bottom of page 4 actually. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They have spoken against me, top of page 5, with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. In return for my love, they are my accusers. Man, this guy's going through the pits. But then notice the next several words or so. Next six words. All of these things are happening to me. Life is a pits. People are against me. But, but what? In the midst of his difficulty. I love this, but I will give myself to prayer, prayer. folks. That's incredible. Man, if you don't take anything else home, we'll take that one home. Prayer's need for Jesus. I really, 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 really want to spend a little time. We should have it right now to emphasize Jesus. We need Jesus. Let me say it again. We need Jesus. Uh, we don't need him only as a historical figure. We don't need him simply because of the cross. Only we need him in the here and in the now. We need Jesus. That's why the Scripture talks about the Spirit of the Lord. And it's one of the reasons why a little while ago when I hit this thing about Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three, one, whatever, I, I'm not concerned about this. I'm concerned about the scriptures to tell me that Jesus is my peace. That means there's something about the Spirit of Jesus, whether you talk about the Holy Spirit, I don't care how you talk about it, there's something about Jesus that ministers straight to me. He's not giving me peace. He is my peace. You say, Ray, I don't understand that. I can't explain it to you, so I'm not even going to try. But I do know this, the Holy Spirit can explain it to you. When He explains it to you, you're just going to go, got it. How many understand it's called the, aha. That's why in teaching, there's so much that I can't say. I can encourage and inspire you, but I can't teach you. It's like I can't teach you to ride a horse necessarily. I can't teach you to swim. Two things I love to do. Because in riding a horse and in swimming, first of all, you've got to get on the horse or you have to get in the water and you'd learn it no other way but doing it. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. So only the Holy Spirit can really teach us to do, to pray. So I need Jesus for salvation. There is is salvation, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Here's what we're up against in America. It's kind of an inclusivism, meaning simply that all, and not, not a theological statement inclusive, but inclusivism in terms of how to get to the Father, and that is that Jesus is not the only way is what's being taught. That Muhammad ought to be away, Confucius ought to be away, and so forth. How many understand what I'm saying? That the world is saying there's got to be a lot of different ways. Here, here's why it won't work. Muhammad is not seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is. Do you know what I get for saying that? I'm racist, I'm prejudiced, I'm bigoted, and I'm biased. I'm short-minded and unloving. But I didn't say it. I simply said what the Word says. There's no other name under heaven given among men. So here again, I won't argue with somebody over it. I'll simply say, and I'm not talking about you folks, I'm talking about people in the world, I'm not going to argue with them over it because it's useless to do so. I'm simply going to say, I didn't derive the scriptures. I participate in them because they work. And this is what they say. The second is petition. I need Jesus. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. Now, here's what I've run across twice, at least, in terms of two mothers that have come to me and said, independent of each other, both of them said this. Teenage sons that are not today serving the Lord, and here's why. They prayed, they asked God for something, they didn't get it, and so they concluded that He wasn't worth serving. Everybody get that? Uh, here's a problem. And that is, the boys don't have a right to an answer. Unless they're in Jesus. The, the world doesn't have a right to ask God for anything. Unless it's in Jesus. Jesus said again, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will ask. Then you will ask. And so it's all predicated upon Jesus again for power. And Jesus came and spoke to them, number part C, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so if I cast out a demon, the only way I'm going to cast it out is by the authority that's found in, in Jesus. Part D for strength. I am the vine, you are the branches. There are times in my life, in the past, anyhow, before I understood some spiritual truths, in which I felt like I just couldn't go on. You know, why bother? Just, I just you know, Today that doesn't work. If I know I'm doing the will of God and I don't have any strength, I know the strength is available to me. All I need to do is draw it. Where am I going to draw it from is the point. Jesus. And, Pastor, I, I don't know if this is appropriate or not to refer directly to you talk to you in a sermon like this, but we as pastors need a tremendous amount of strength in this day and age. We need to draw a pastor from Jesus. But I, I want to I, I I refer to your pastor right now by saying, not only does he need to do this, but you need to be praying for him and his family basically every single day. He needs to be constantly ever on your prayer list. One of the reasons for that... And this isn't to scare your church or to scare him. But he, his wife, and his boy, these are, these are far more bigger targets for the enemy than most of us in this room. And the reason is that if the enemy can take him out some way or another, weaken him in some way or another, it just goes through the rest of the body of Christ in terms of discouragement and all kinds of other things. Pastor Rick, he's not here right now. Uh, I, just, I, I don't know that I can be more sincere about this. And that is, please, I beg you, I absolutely beg you, pray for these men and their families. Pray for them. And then, for vision, show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. For boldness, let us therefore come how before the throne? Boldly. Now, that doesn't mean brashly. Uh, It doesn't mean with an element of arrogance. It means knowing that I have a legal right to come before the Father based on what Jesus did, not who I am other than I'm a child of God. And then the last one, for the Holy Spirit's help. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Idi But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which not be, cannot be uttered. And so in the case of Idi Amin, as I was talking a little while ago, and I, I'm praying for this nation, uh, I, I didn't know how to pray. But as I waited, the words came. Six weeks later, Idi Amin was out of power. You say, Ray, did you cast him out of power? Let me be very, very careful with that. I do believe in the army of God. And I believe that God doesn't use single soldiers so much as He uses battalions of people. That when God has something He wants changed, which right now I believe is North Korea. Because I believe North Korea, is my own personal belief, is the most wicked nation that has ever existed on the face of the earth. From what I know of North Korea, and it's a matter of, my heart bleeds. If there was anything I thought that God would ask me to do or I could do for North Korea, I'd do it. No more wicked nation ever in the history of humanity, is my impression. Do you know in North Korea right now, if you don't worship Kim Jong-il as God, then you're in trouble, because he is manifested God. Are you aware that if you commit some kind of a crime against the state, which in America most of it wouldn't be crimes to begin with, Not only will you go to jail or be executed, but they have nine family prisons right now in North Korea. So you mess up and your entire family, mother, brother, sisters, and everybody they can round up, all go to prison. So why is that? Think about it for a moment. People don't mess up in North Korea at all because they know that ultimately somebody else is going to pay the price. And so, boy, you talk about obedience, but it's not out of the heart. And when you start looking at some other things that are there, it's just a horrible, horrible, horrible place. I would like to see it changed. If there's a possibility, I know this is heavy theology, a possibility that Christians could be used to the Lord to change that, because I believe prayer changes things, then I want to discover what that's all about. I want to see that nation changed. I want to see that nation changed. And so, Lord, I don't know, but I want to see it changed. I don't know. Prayer's mission. I already led into it. To do what? Change things. How many of you say, I've been changed radically in the last several years of my serving the Lord. The Holy Spirit has just been on my case again and again in a wonderful way, and I've changed. And I would say wonderful. But the change largely is to glorify God. It's also part B to receive the mind of God. And then thirdly, to bring unity to Christ's body. You folks in this room have probably one of the most uh, significant and wonderful compliments given to you as a body that I've heard in a long time. And that is that I talked to your pastor about you behind your back. I wanted to know, what kind of a congregation is this? And pastor says, a very unified, a very loving, very kind congregation. That doesn't exist all over the place. There's, there's, I know of a Seventh-day Adventist church right now that's been ripped apart again and again and again over just... A lot of it's just stupid stuff. It's not even over doctrine. You know, it could be over the color of the carpet. I can't even tell what color the carpet is. You know? Or the fact, you know, that a you know, pastor moved the pulpit one day to a place where it shouldn't ought to be. Or you know, he'd, And you listen to the stuff and you go, I can't believe that Christians would divide themselves over this. And then while they're fighting, none of the people usually are going to leave... But others that see them fighting go, if this is what Christianity is all about, I don't want anything to do with it. And a lot of them, our kids go right out the back door, and some of them don't ever come back. And some of them, if they're going to come back, they're in their 50s or 60s before all of a sudden they start coming back. I want to say, we do some stupid things sometimes. So, in my encouragement to you, I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter, I have no idea, Six. Proverbs chapter 6, and verse 16. Proverbs six sixteen, Hard verse of Scripture, but I'm going to read it anyhow. Talks about seven things that God hates. And one of them is a kind of person. You say, well, God loves everybody. Now rethink that. Rethink that. These six things the Lord hates. Well, hold hold on a minute. Yes, there are seven things that are an abomination to Him. Verse 17, a proud look. So God's talking about this over here. Uh, A lying tongue. Just the sin that was created. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Number five, feet that are swift in running to evil. Six, a false witness who speaks lies. Number seven, scares me big time. And one who does what? Sows discord among the brethren. Man, that's pretty powerful stuff. It, it really causes me to just want to straighten up and say, boy, there's some things that I've complained about in the body of Christ before wasn't worth complaining. Or things about I complained about that I had a right to talk about, I just didn't have a right to talk about it with the attitude that I was talking about. Because it was important that the subject came up. Proverbs chapter six, beginning with verse sixteen. Proverbs six sixteen. And then when we get to verse nineteen, last part of the verse, it says, And one who sows discord among the brethren. You say, Ray, that's a little sharp. No, folks, it's the word. It's the word. Going a little bit further. Here we go. Also, part D, bottom of page five, that God would send laborers into his work. Part the people will be saved. I know that's a little different for some of you in this church, but awful. Of, I think quite a big move today within the Seventh-day Adventist Church to kind of move back into a, the element of evangelism. Part F, a personal, for personal spiritual growth. I love this. Show me your ways, O Lord. How many in the room understand or have been praying the Scriptures? I love to pray the Scriptures. In fact, I wrote a book on it. One of the first scriptures I learned to pray was Psalm 55, verse 10. Here's what it says. Create in me what? Clean heart. heart. And do what? Renew a right right spirit in me. I love this one. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. me. And so you'll find the book in the back there. It's called Create in Me a Clean Heart. (laughs) It's a Thomas Nelson publication. But it's one of those things where I'm saying, Lord, change me. I don't have the ability to change myself often. Change me. I'm my own worst enemy half the time. Or how many understand this? Of course, I'm overemphasizing some things right now for, to make a point. But um, let me say it this way. The harder I try to be good sometimes, the worse I get. Yeah. Hang with it. It's not about how well you do by yourself. It's how well you do when Jesus is in you. And what I'm finding today is that there's times when I'm tempted to say something because I am so angry. And all of a sudden I feel just the Holy Spirit just kind of calming me down. I just sense that this is coming from the Lord. Because it didn't happen this way before. And it's a matter of God just settling me down and basically saying, and I'm not hearing anything, but it's a matter of hearing it in my spirit. And that is, Ray, it's not worth it. Just don't bother. And it's not worth it, son, from the standpoint of you'll simply hurt somebody else in the process. I have somebody right now that's hurt me so bad. And what God is saying, son... Don't worry about the hurt. I was hurt too. And boy, when God's saying it, you can drop it and it ain't going to come back. It's a matter of, if I drop it on my own, it's a matter of I still want that little edge where I can get in and just let people know what I really feel. You know, because they did damage to me. They that they hurt me. And God's saying, son, don't bother with it. You know, all you're going to do... And you, how many understand this one? When somebody does you wrong... The more you think about it doesn 't really do the other person any good or any evil i mean you 're not going to get to the other it 's not going to change that person because you say, uh, "Why not because they 're not thinking about the way you 're thinking about what you 're thinking about. You say what are they thinking about no. something else they 're not thinking about you and so from that standpoint all you 're doing is getting a massive big headache doing what by not forgiving somebody, which by the way, forgiveness is not forgetting forgiveness is simply. I refuse to hold this against this person for whatever damage I feel was done to me where I got my feelings hurt. How many are still with me? Because I don't know where I'm at. (laughs) Bottom of page six, number nine. Can you stay with me a little bit longer? Are we all right? Okay, why don't you just stand right now and wiggle. That helps, doesn't it? Okay, then be seated, please. When teachings do go this long, if you have to move, absolutely have to move, don't worry about it. It's not going to bother me at all. Just don't slam doors and stomp out and things like that. Okay. Okay, hindrances and problems in prayer. This, this kind of teaching, when I began to learn it personally, helped me a great deal. Because sometimes in Christianity, there's a temptation to believe that anybody that has been able to focus on or discipline themselves or become proficient in some area of overcoming, they don't have this particular problem, they have a good prayer life, they have a good marriage and all these things, then, you know, there must be something very special about them. Or they've never, ever gone through bad things. My research shows a lot different. Big time different. In fact, I don't meet very many people today that have ever been married that haven't had problems in their marriage. What I do meet, however, are people that have been determined I will go through the problem one way or another. Divorce is not the option. Come out the other side loving their spouse more than ever before. Or I remember my mother saying, when I first got married, she said, you know, it's going to take you some years to learn what marriage is all about. And I thought she was talking about sex, and I wanted to say, Mom, <laughs> Mom, I've been following the birds and the beasts for a long time, and I'll tell you what, at 22 years of age, I know a little bit about life. And then after five years of marriage, I discovered, boy, there's a lot to learn about marriage. And then after 10 years, you begin to say, you know, there are things that you can't really know in the first five years of your marriage until you get to the 10th year. And now we've been married 40 years, and I don't know how we made it. <laughs> 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 Can I tell you a story about Oli and Inga and some of the problems they were having? It. We don't, don't have time for that. Let's go. Bottom <laughs> of page 6, number 9. How many would would really want to hear about Oli and Inga anyhow? You Okay, three hands, that's not enough. Number nine, <laughs> hindrances and problems in prayer. Doesn't anybody really want to hear about Oli and Inga? Yes. Put your hand up then. I, that's enough hands. Okay. They, they had a great marriage, but like most marriages, little difficulties from now and then. And it was at one of those stressed out parts in their life. And Inga was kind of always blaming Oli at that particular time about the, the problems that we're having and and Olly didn't think he, he really had that, it wasn't his problem to begin with, but he did get the thinking that because he was having uh, some physical problems at the time that maybe it was transferring into the emotional element, and he was probably doing and saying things he ought not to say. So he thought, you know, maybe what I really ought to do, because I love my marriage, is go get a physical checkup. So he went to the doctor. The doctor checked, checked him. He said, Holy, he said, I can't find anything wrong with you. You're fit as a fiddle. He said, but here's what I'd like you to do. He said, I want you to walk five miles every day for the next 30 days. Then give me a call and tell me how you're doing. Away Oli went. 30 days later, Oli called the doctor. The doctor said, how are you doing? He said, I am doing fantastic, he said. Absolutely wonderful. He said, how's Zinka doing? He said, I have the foggiest idea. I'm 150 miles away from home. (laughs) Five times 30, Okay. (laughs)